Tegan, a lot to get to today. You ready to get right into it? Let's dive right in, Chris. First question, should she or shouldn't she? She finished third in Iowa, second or last, depending on your point of view in New Hampshire. Nevada's a done deal. She's going to lose there. The South Carolina primary is February 24th. Two questions. Should Nikki Haley stay in and will Nikki Haley stay in? Great questions. I'd probably phrase them a little bit differently. I'd say, does Nikki Haley have a chance to win the Republican nomination? I think it's unlikely. But that doesn't mean she shouldn't stay in. And my reasoning is that I think Donald Trump is a very risky candidate for all the reasons we've been discussing over the many months of this podcast. I think it makes sense for Nikki Haley to stay in the race as long as she possibly can, simply to collect some delegates and to be a force at the convention. Should something happen to Donald Trump's candidacy, like should he be convicted of crimes and the RNC wants to change their mind about Donald Trump at that point? How do you weigh her staying in and possibly that positive of getting some delegates, getting a little bit of power versus the potential of getting humiliated in her own state? I think it's probably more a certainty that she'll be humiliated in her home state. Isn't that uh, bad? Not only isn't that bad in the long term for her? If one long term opportunity is gaining delegates and gaining some power, isn't the con to that the long term cost of being humiliated in her home state? She may want to run for Senate someday. She may want to do something else. If she gets humiliated, isn't that a really bad thing? I think it's obviously, what does she want to do? It all depends upon, does she want to be a U.S. Senator in South Carolina again? You've got Lindsey Graham and Tim Scott who are in those seats right now. Neither of them seem to be going anywhere, though I suspect Tim Scott probably has his eye on being Donald Trump's running mate. So perhaps that seat would open if a Trump-Scott ticket were to win in 2024. All depends on what Nikki Haley wants to do. And I'm sure, you know, right now she is running. She has launched a new set of ads in South Carolina. She's attacking Trump regularly. The question for Nikki Haley is is she running for president or is she trying to remain politically viable for some other elected office like U.S. Senate? Personally, I think Nikki Haley has her sights set on being president and her best shot at being president is to stay in this race and try to somehow get the Republican nomination, if not by winning the most delegates, then by hoping lightning might strike and that Donald Trump may no longer be a viable candidate. Isn't it the greatest possibility, though, that by staying in the race, she becomes president of the club no one wants to be a member of, meaning the old school Republican Party? By staying in, she draws all of the moderates. She draws the anti-Trump crowd. So fantastic. She's president of 25% of Republicans. Yeah, and I think that's probably generous too. It's not exactly where you'd want to be, but she could potentially be a viable candidate because she does appeal to suburban women, for instance. If she were to be the nominee against Joe Biden, she could at least soften the blow. Donald Trump does not appeal at all to suburban women for the most part, and that's the Republicans' biggest issue there. So I could see the Republican National Committee turning to her if Donald Trump were to have a health event that prevented him from running, or if he were to have a legal event that may prevent him from running. And so the RNC would still need options. And I think that the best option is the person who is still in the race at the end. And that's not going to be Ron DeSantis. That's not going to be Tim Scott. That's not going to be Chris Christie because they've all dropped out. So perhaps Nikki Haley should stay in for that reason. But it does come with a cost, such as humiliation in the South Carolina primary. 
Are there any pros for Trump in Haley staying in the race? Not at this point. And I think that you could see that in his victory speech, his angry victory speech in New Hampshire, where he could not hide his disgust for Nikki Haley. He has continued that rampage on social media and in other public comments since the New Hampshire primary. So I don't think Donald Trump wants her in at all. In fact, there's actually a resolution to be considered by the Republican National Committee when they meet at their winter meeting to make Donald Trump the presumptive nominee even before the end of the primaries. While he would still need the necessary delegate votes to get the nomination, the RNC could actively help him at that point in winning the nomination. I mean, it doesn't seem to me that if people are suspecting that you may not be a fan of democracy and people voting and counting the votes that you do something like that, but you know, stranger things have happened and Donald Trump would probably willingly take that if the RNC were to vote him in at this point. So, while he'll still need to win, we're going to declare him having won now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Bring up his angry remarks again. I mean, this is something that the media really just seems to gloss over. It doesn't seem to be a big thing. But it's so interesting how angry he is when Nikki Haley, who actually did concede defeat to Donald Trump, in Trump words, acted like she won. I mean, Nikki Haley congratulated Trump on winning the New Hampshire primary, but because she simply acted like she won, Donald Trump is so upset. And obviously, that's exactly what Donald Trump has been doing since the 2020 election that he lost. He's been pretending that he won. He's actually been saying that he won. It's so fascinating that Trump was so upset by that. And yet the media really didn't make a big deal of it. I mean, it was mentioned in the post-New Hampshire victory speech analysis. I didn't see big articles about it. I didn't see talking heads talking about it. I didn't see big op-eds about it. It's just remarkable to me that he could be so upset about someone acting like they won when he spent three years doing exactly that. I feel like I actually did hear a little bit about it. I think the two things that really stood out, one was his comment about Haley's dress, her outfit, and right. you know, nice outfit, and eh, maybe it's not so nice. And then two, obviously, his takedown of Tim Scott. I heard a little bit about that. Those were the two moments that just, to me, I think to a lot of people, just stood out as like, whoa, that's some stuff there. I certainly agree with you about Tim Scott. I mean, I've never seen somebody take away someone's dignity so quickly like Donald Trump does. But Donald Trump thrives on this. This is who he is. But it's just remarkable. Tim Scott, who by all accounts, you know, his reputation in the U.S. Senate is being a very nice guy. Democrats seem to like him. Republicans seem to like him. And it just seems so pathetic the way he just is sucking up to Trump right now. And this is, by the way, Chris, to possibly angle to be Trump's running mate. Remember what happened to Trump's last running mate? He tried to have him killed hung at the Capitol by rioters. <laughs> I mean, doesn't seem to be a job that you'd really want that badly. You know, there are a couple of perks, but man, some of the you know, some of the other stuff doesn't seem so good. Will we have any more debates this year? That's a great question. Interestingly enough, a reader asked if I would update the political calendar on Political Wire to put those dates in the calendar, and I did so. One of the reasons why I didn't is that I don't really feel that those debates are going to end up happening. There's a lot of reasons why Donald Trump doesn't want them to happen. There's a lot of reasons why Joe Biden doesn't want them to happen. We can remember that Trump-Biden debate where all they did was yell at each other and Trump carried on, talked over Biden. 
it was probably the most useless waste of 90 minutes in American network television history. And having one of those, I don't think does anyone a service. So I think what we'll have is we'll have debates about debates. And you'll have a lot of jockeying between Trump challenging Biden to debate, saying Biden's scared of debating, and Biden doing the same with Trump. But whether they actually happen, I wouldn't be surprised if they do not. I completely agree. I largely don't think they will. One way, however, in which they could is Trump may want to have that visual of Biden on the stage and Biden fumbling over words. Trump coming in with more energy and using it as an opportunity and even the challenge of it as saying, well, you know, if Joe weren't senile, he'd be willing to debate me. I think it could be a tactic of trying to raise the mental acuity question that keeps getting raised about Biden. I could see Trump going down that road. You know, the thing about debates is that whoever is the winner of the debate, it's all about expectations. It's probably not a bad thing for Joe Biden to have all these questions hanging over his head about whether he'll be lucid or not at a debate. Now, I've seen Biden in debates. I've seen him give speeches. He makes mistakes occasionally, but I've never seen him in such a way that makes me think he's not capable of being president of the United States. Now, that may have changed in the three years since we last had some debates with Donald Trump, but I can imagine the expectations that Biden soars above the expectations that are being set by Donald Trump and his camp. You know, usually you have these debates and you try to build up your competitor. Oh, they're just such an expert debater. Oh my God, he's been a U.S. senator for 40 years. He's going to be one of the best debaters ever. And I have no idea how I'm going to do. And then you go and you play that expectations game. You know, I think Donald Trump is on the wrong end of expectations if that's what he's looking to do. One thing Biden could do if they don't have the debates, he should go one-on-one with debate anchors, a series of one-hour episodes, take questions one-on-one live so that it's not a debate. Because by the way, as you were saying, what was more wasteful than those 90 minutes of debate? Most of these debates obviously have become silly. It's just people yelling over each other. It's just trying to get in some caustic one-liner and try to get the zinger that becomes a viral moment. They largely lack substance. And if what Biden needs to show is, here's my view on various issues, here's my ability to really counteract that lucidity question, he could do a series of one-on-one, I would make them live, I wouldn't do them taped, and put them out there. Yeah, I think that's an interesting idea, Chris, because Biden does need to revamp his communication strategy. That is for sure. He needs to take on the Fox News megaphone, which is pushing out essentially three messages right now. It's pushing out Biden is somehow is no longer mentally there, that millions of people are pouring over the border and that our crime rate is out of control. Those are the three messages that you see being repeated night after night on Fox News. This is what Donald Trump will run on are those three things. And right now, I don't see the Biden campaign really responding as much as they probably should to these things. I see them touting the economy, for instance, and the economy is, we got great news today as we record this, that the economy grew at 3.1% last quarter, ended the year growing faster in 2023 than in any year of the Trump presidency. And so I think that's a big deal for Biden, and I think that's great. But these issues that Republicans will attack him on, he needs a communication strategy to take them on, and what you suggest might be part of that. 
for Biden, perhaps better than the actual economic numbers, might be the sentiment around the numbers. You posted today on Political Wire, Americans more upbeat on the economy from Pew Research. Americans' views of the nation's economy, while mostly stagnant for the past few years, are showing signs of improvement. Slightly more than a quarter, 28%, rate economic conditions as excellent or good, a nine percentage point increase from last April. Virtually all the change since then has come among Democrats and Democratic-leaning independents. Currently, 44% of Democrats have positive views of the economy, the highest share of Joe Biden's presidency. And while that might not be improving his overall job rating, that's obviously very good news for Biden. And the fact that the view is coming within the Democratic Party, I think is important also because the fissures that exist within the Democratic Party right now, I think are a real risk. And at least having some consistency across the economy, this is clearly very good news. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's still the economy stupid as it was in the 1992 campaign when James Carville coined that phrase, but it certainly could be a problem for Biden if the economy was not doing well. And it seems like the data that we have seen over the course of the last two or three months really takes the issue of the economy off the table in terms of being a negative for President Biden. You know, there's still the border issue, I still think is an important issue. And there's still crime, which even though the crime rate, particularly violent crime rate has gone down, you wouldn't know it in watching Fox News every night. That is one of their big stories. And so because of that, he needs a way to respond to that. But in terms of being attacked on the economy, it's going to be harder and harder if these numbers keep up. It's still the economy dummy. I mean, sure, it might not be stupid. It might not be that big, but it's still there. Who are you calling dummy, Chris? Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> but I am wondering if you would call this brutal. I read a lot of news. You read a lot of news. Have you ever come across a more brutal article than the one that ran earlier this week titled The Emasculation of Ron DeSantis in the New York Times? Donald Trump plumbed new depths of degradation in his savage takedown of Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, a year-long campaign of emasculation and humiliation that helped force one of the party's rising stars out of the presidential race just after one contest and left him to pick up the pieces of his political future, the New York Times reports. You put this in Political Wire. In front of enormous rally audiences, Mr. Trump painted Mr. DeSantis as a submissive sniveler, insisting that he had cried and begged on his knees for an endorsement in the 2018 Florida governor's race. In a series of sexually charged attacks, Mr. Trump suggested, without a shred of proof, that Mr. DeSantis wore high heels, that he might be gay, and that he perhaps was a pedophile. He promised that intense national scrutiny would leave Mr. DeSantis whining for mommy. Now, that was the New York Times summation of the DeSantis campaign. Most brutal article ever? The only thing more brutal than that article was the fact that DeSantis endorsed Donald Trump. I'm not sure who has less dignity right now, Ron DeSantis or Tim Scott. I mean, it's extraordinary. You forget about a lot of the things that Trump said about Ron DeSantis. You forget about the fact that he said DeSantis, who used to be a high school teacher, that he was grooming kids while he was a teacher. And he had photos, which I'm sure you've seen, grainy photos of young Ron DeSantis at a party with high school kids, You know, which seemingly was not a school event. The types of things that Trump said about DeSantis were really devastating. What he didn't do was what he did to Ted Cruz, which was insult his wife and call her ugly. But aside from that, he really threw everything he had at DeSantis. He also didn't say that DeSantis' father killed John F. Kennedy. <laughs> That's true. 
That this is was true. soft treatment. Yeah. It, By it, the it, way, Ted Cruz this week also endorsed Donald Trump. <laughs> it's a trifecta. Let's end by talking about Texas, though not about Ted Cruz. And there's a lot to keep your eyes on here. On December 18th, you posted a piece, Abbott to sign law allowing police to arrest migrants. Governor Greg Abbott is expected to sign into law on Monday, a measure allowing Texas law enforcement officials to arrest migrants who enter the state from Mexico without authorization, setting the stage for a potential showdown with the federal government over immigration enforcement powers. That was back in December. That showdown has occurred, and you posted on January 23rd, Abbott slams Supreme Court decision on razor wire. Abbott responded to the Supreme Court ruling the federal government had the authority to remove razor wire installed by the state at the southern border, saying, quote, this is not over. And then just today, on January 25th, you posted, Chip Roy tells Texas to ignore the Supreme Court. Representative Chip Roy told Fox News that Texas officials should ignore the recent Supreme Court ruling, saying the federal government could remove razor wire on the U.S.-Mexico border. Said Roy, quote, they have a duty under the Constitution and every other norm of leadership of any sovereign state to protect your citizens, period, full stop. There is no exception to that. And if the Supreme Court wants to ignore that truth, which a slim majority did, Texas still had the duty, Texas leaders still have the duty to defend their people. Tegan, how does this end well? It doesn't end well, Chris. I mean, wasn't the Republican Party that Chip Roy is a member of supposed to be the law and order party? I'll tell you where the period full stop is. It's when the Supreme Court rules after a series of decisions, rules on something, and they do have the last word in our system, whether you like the justices or not. Chip Roy is telling Texas officials to ignore the law and to ignore what the Supreme Court said. I mean, it is unbelievable that this is where this would come down to. There is literally no recognition of the highest court in our land over this issue. And we don't know what Greg Abbott's going to do right now, but no, this is not going to end well. This is going to be an ugly thing. Texas always has thought itself almost as its own country just because of its history when it once was its own country. But the fact that this is going on in 2024 is extraordinary. And yeah, this is a big deal. It's almost as if they're willing President Biden to send federal troops in, just as you know, you go back to the 1960s when National Guard troops were sent in to help desegregate the schools. We are living in a very volatile time. This is not good political speech right now. Isn't the situation where the, I don't know if it's the state rangers or if it's the Texas border police, I don't know exactly which entity it is, but they are keeping U.S. border officials away from certain areas, right? They're making yeah. these arrests and you know that there's going to be some confrontation between a Texas state law enforcement representative and a U.S. federal law enforcement representative. And that could go haywire very quickly. No, it reminds you of Alabama with George Wallace and the schools and the desegregation orders and Robert Kennedy calling in, who was the attorney general at the time, calling in the National Guard to help enforce the law of the land at this point. It could definitely come to that. And politically, during an election year, with the border and border security being such a big issue. I could tell you this, President Biden does not want to ask Attorney General Merrick Garland to send in the troops. He does not want to do that for this election. 
but he may be forced to because that may be what is required in order to enforce the law. We will keep our eyes on Texas. And the other thing that we will note, a small tease for next week's episode, it's an important one in the history of Trial Balloon. Why is that, Chris? Tune in next week. Talk to you then, Tegan. All right. You're leaving us hanging there, Chris. All right. Take care.